0: Well, let's go to the book of Leviticus today. Leviticus chapter 25. You don't preach often in Leviticus unless you're having a Bible conference and got a lot of serious Bible students in front of you, and um, you don't hear sermonized on too much, but we have a very special, I have a very special reason to talk to you today from the book of Leviticus. And chapter 25, please. Stand, please, if you will, as we read God's word together, Leviticus 25 and verse number 8. Leviticus 25 and 8. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths, or seven s- sevens, it'd be 49 years, seven. Times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all the land, and you shall hallow the fiftieth year. And proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be a jubilee or a jubilee year unto you. And you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that 50th year be to you. You shall not sow the fields, neither reap that which groweth of itself in the field, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. You shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of this jubilee, you shall return every man unto his possession. And then it goes on. Several other things that it describes, but that will give you the idea of the Jubilee year. Thank you. You may be seated. So, every 50th year in the land of or the nation of Israel, once every 50 years, they set aside the Jubilee year on the 50th year. It was a year long political and religious celebration, celebrating the nation's existence itself. They had lots of activities connected with it. We know from the biblical accounts and other historical accounts, there were feasts that they had galore. Everybody was eating and enjoying themselves. They rested the fields, as I just read you, they were not allowed to sow their field. The land completely lay fallow and rested for an entire year. Debts were forgiven. If someone owed you money and they hadn't paid you, at the end of that jubilee, or at the beginning of the jubilee, the debts were all forgiven. And there was a great emphasis upon that. That way people were not encumbered and burdened down for the rest of their life in sort of a form of slavery because in those days, if you didn't pay your debts, you had to work. You had to serve as a bond servant. So you were freed on that time. The slaves or the servants were freed. The land that had been traded and sold between tribes then had to go back to the original tribe, the original owner of the property. So they sort of reset. It was a year, it was a time to reset everything economically, politically, spiritually. Forgiveness, freedom, liberty was emphasized. And there was a great, great celebration as the people observed the 50th year. Now, 2019, the Florence Baptist Temple will observe its 50th year. It'll be our jubilee here at the Baptist Temple. But the Scripture describes a lot of other times that people celebrated various events in the life of the nation. Go with me over to the book of Exodus chapter 12 in your Bible this morning. Exodus and chapter number 12 and verse number 14 is talking about the Passover. And you know how that when Israel was set free from bondage in Egypt, that they observed that night, the Passover. The lamb was sacrificed, and then the people traveled out of the land and began their journey through the wilderness to the promised land, a journey that would end 40 years later. But the Passover represented them being passed over by the death angel, unlike the Egyptians. And in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 14, it says this about the Passover. This day shall be unto you a memorial. I want you to notice here a memorial. Note the word memorial. You shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast for an ordinance forever, forever. And you know today Jewish families still observe Passover every single year. It's an important time, and it reminds them of when they were slaves for 430 years down in Egypt, and that they were set free, and liberty was declared to them after four centuries. Go to the book of Joshua with me. And you'll see another, uh, You'll see another incident here of how they marked important times and dates and events in their national life. In Joshua chapter 4 and in verse number 6, well, before I read it, let me just give you a little background. I won't have to read so much. The nation of Israel is now on the banks of the Jordan. It's 40 years after the Passover. The Jordan is at flood tide, the Bible says. It's so wide and the waters are so deep, there's no way the nation can go over the river the Lord arranged that to show them his power. And so now they stand on the banks of the river here looking over into the promised land where they have been journeying of two and four for over 40 years. And God stops the waters of the Jordan River. And the entire nation walks over on dry ground, on bare ground. And so the waters just pile up for a season here as God completely stops the flow of the river, a miraculous event. Well, God said to Joshua, I want you in chapter number four here and verse number six, uh, or in verse number five, rather, he said, pass over before the ark of the Lord, your God into the midst of the Jordan or the riverbed. And I want every man to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, in year, the years ahead, saying, what mean you by these stones? Then you shall answer them, The waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial, there's the word again, unto the children of Israel forever. So here's the picture the river bed here is now dry or it's open, the waters have ceased to flow, and so the men gather up these stones. Each tribe gathers up stones. They take the stones, they pile them up, and they make a column, a high column made out of stone and big rock. And the column represents the event that God miraculously dried up the rivers of the Jordan and the nation passed over that day on basically dry ground. And God said to Joshua, in the years to come thinking into the future, your children are going to come and say to you, what is this pile of rocks about? He says it's a memorial where you are to tell them about the great works of God, what God has in fact done in your midst. Then go over to First Samuel with me, chapter 7, if you will. First Samuel chapter 7, and in verse number 12, we read another significant verse. Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and he called the name of it Ebenezer saying hitherto or up to now hath the Lord helped us. Now the circumstance that day was this the Philistine army had attacked Israel and they were winning they were overwhelming the nation of Israel and so they called on Samuel, God's man, the prophet, to come and to kneel and to pray. And he first offered a little sacrifice of a little lamb, and then he got down on his knees and he prayed to the God of heaven. And when he did, giant thunderclouds came up. It thundered so loud that it it was disconcerting to the army of the Philistines. They didn't know what was getting ready to happen. They fled the field of battle, and it was a great victory that day for the nation of Israel because of what God had done. And Samuel then took this stone, and he set up the stone, and he said, call this stone Ebenezer. What does Ebenezer mean? Ebenezer means up until now, the Lord has helped us. Boy, I like that, don't you? Up until now, the Lord has helped us. And I remember a night or a day in November of 1969 when I stood before 18 people in the old theater building at the Florence Airport, and I preached the first sermon I'd ever preached. The Lord gave grace to those people who sat there and heard it. And eight of them came back next week. I always laugh and say, I got it down to where I can handle it. And then, from then on, it was a little better attendance every week. And now, 50 years later, here we sit. Here, 50 years later, we're still here. And you hadn't been able to run this preacher off yet. He's still here, wailing away, preaching the Word of God, huh? And you know what? Yeah, yeah. Even today, somebody asked me, one of my staff asked me, did you think that when you preached that first sermon, you'd be here 50 years later? And I said, my soul, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do the next week that long ago. No, I didn't have a 50-year plan. The Lord just was very good to me and has, has allowed me to do that. So our Jubilee year is coming up in 2019, 50 years, and... Why am I speaking to you about that today? Because if we don't start today, we can't, you know, we don't want to wait till the week before and say, hey, what are we going to do for our anniversary day, do we? And so I want to talk to you about what we, some plans for that time. Because the Florence Baptist Temple will be 50 years old on November the 3rd, 2019. And that's 71 Sundays from today. Just about a year and a half away. Now, to tell you about a plan that I have in mind, I want you to go to the book of Luke chapter number eight and turn there in your Bible, please. Luke's gospel chapter eight. And so you're learning today to uh, find the references in your Bible, are you not? Luke chapter eight and beginning there in verse number four, a familiar passage to many of you And when much people were gathered together and were come to Jesus out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it had sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some of the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, what might this parable be? What do you mean by this parable? And Jesus said, unto you it is given, this parable is going to explain to you the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And down in verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then comes the devil and takes the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy but these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away and that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and they bring no fruit to perfection but that on the good but that on the good ground the seed that goes on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Notice with me, there are three elements in this parable. There's a sower in Luke chapter eight and verse four. A sower went forth to sow. Now, the sower is a farmer. He is planting his crops. And in those days, we didn't have mechanical implements and so on. And so picture with me, if you will, a farmer, and he has a sack slung over his shoulder, over his back here, and it's full of seed. And in those days, they broadcast, that was the term they used, they broadcast the seed. So he reaches in the, in the bag as he walks across his field and he throws the seed like this. We still do that sometimes, not often now because we've got so many mechanical things. But people broadcast seed if they're planting a yard or something. He's slinging the seed. Good South Carolina word. He's slinging the seed out across the field that he's planting, and goes across the furrows, and it grows. Goes across. Uh, he didn't use rows in the same sense that we do today. Now. If you will look with me, and uh, no, don't look there. We don't have time to look. But Matthew 13, 38, you may want to note that. It tells you what the field is. The field is the word of, uh, the field is, is the world. The field is the world. So the sower is, the spiritual analogy is the man's walking across the field. The field is the world, and he's broadcasting the seed which represent, is representing the Word of God. Now, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11, you'll notice what the seed is. And I just told you, it's the Word of God. The same parable is given also in Mark, and it's given in Matthew. And the, in Mark, he calls it just the Word. Luke calls it the Word of God. But either way, it's the same thing. So the man's going across the field. The field is the world. The seed is the word of God. So the sower is taking the word of God and he's broadcasting it all across the world anywhere that he can. Then notice with me the soils. There are four types of soils listed here in your Bible. And there is the wayside soil, the stony soil, the thorn, the soil that is full of thorns, and then there's the good soil. Now, notice it's the same sower, same man, and he's sowing the same seed, and he's sowing it across the world, but the soil differs from place to place. And the soil represents the hearts, the condition of the heart of the people that receive the seed, the different responses people have to the seed, the Word of God. Look in verse 5. It's the wayside Uh, soil. What does it mean by the wayside? The wayside, the way was what they called a road, or more appropriately in those days, it was a footpath. And so the place where people walked, it was packed down, it was hard. And he throws the seed there. And if you will notice, the seed is not accepted. The seed never brings forth fruit, never brings forth life. Because the seed lays out there naked on the top of that hard packed ground and the devil comes and he snatches it away. In Matthew, he pictures Satan as birds that are coming over the field and they snatch away, if you will, the seed of the word of God. I call that the calloused heart, the calloused heart. And as we have sown the seed here at the Florence Baptist Temple, we've We've taken the gospel to a lot of people and their hearts were hard. They were not one bit interested in what we had to say. They rejected our message. They rejected the word of God. They rejected the gospel. If you're a witness, you know that over and over you've talked to people and they may not have been hostile. They're just not interested. And you talk to them and it's like talking to that chair. There's no response at all. Their heart is hard. It's calloused. It's been hardened by sin and by unbelief notice in verse number six there's the stony ground and i call this the casual heart the calloused heart but the seed by the wayside and then there's the stony ground hearer the casual heart over in the nation of israel as i've told you there's a lot of rock the the a rock strata that goes under the soil And in many places, the soil is only like this deep, and so the moisture can't come up to the roots, and therefore, the uh, the the plants can't thrive there. They can't farm that land. Things can't grow there. And so, in this stony ground, the seed can germinate, and it come can come up for just for uh, maybe a very brief time. But then there's no moisture. And so it's going to wither away And it's going to die And I call this the casual hearer The person who starts well It looks like the seed germinated in their heart They make a profession of faith in Christ But they never really do produce any fruit in their life And after it appeared that the seed took root It appeared they made a profession of faith in Christ It appears they were saved for a little while And then they're gone they've dropped out of church. They're not living for the Lord. Their heart has been taken by the world and a little bit of opposition comes. They're very superficial. Often these are very emotional decisions too. If you'll notice over in Matthew, I think it is, it says that these people receive the word with joy, with joy. They're the person, man, for the first two weeks after they get saved, they drive the whole world crazy. Man, you'd think they were the greatest convert ever. And Two weeks later, you can't even find them. And so it's a superficial, casual reception of the gospel from these people. Then in verse number seven, you see the ground that is sown with thorns. And I call this the crowded heart. The crowded heart. The competition from weeds and thorns and other vegetation growing there. It completely chokes the seed out and so the seed never, ever again produces any fruit. After a while, it just is a little plant living there, but there's not much to it. And it certainly doesn't produce uh, any fruit there. Now in verse seven, it even tells us what it is that crowds out. The, um, it, it crowds out the, the, the seed and its growth and it chokes it down. And it says that the deceitfulness of riches, and the cares of the world, and the pleasures of the world. Think about those things. The cares of this world crowd out the fruitful seed of the Word of God. Am I talking to somebody today, and the cares of the world have taken over in your life problems, just preoccupied. Maybe it's a problem with a child. Maybe it's a problem at work. Maybe it's a health problem. But honestly, the Lord doesn't want any problem that we have to, to completely take over in our life. That's what happens to the thorny ground hearer. And then it says there, the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Man, I'd like to preach that to everybody in materialistic America today because we have been sold the idea that you see if we make enough money and we have riches that we're going to be happy. And we look around every day in the news and see that riches will not buy people happiness. It will not buy meaning. It will not purchase fulfillment. There's plenty of people with a lot of money And they're miserable people. We read about their suicides frequently and the deceitfulness of riches. They were deceived by the idea that they would be happy if they just had enough. And then it says the pleasures of the world, even things that are not wrong in and of themselves, good things, sports, um, hobbies, recreation, music, parties. But when people are totally preoccupied with that and it steals away their hearts and then the pleasures of the world take over and crowd out the Word of God and its work in their lives. How often I've seen that as a pastor. So we have the calloused heart, the wayside here, a hard heart. There's never even any profession There's just total rejection. There's a stony heart. It appears for a little while in this casual approach to the gospel that that uh, they're, they're sincerely following the Lord, but then they go away. There's the thorny ground hearer, the crowded heart, the competition of other things, not necessarily even bad things, chokes out the seed. This might even be a Christian here. This person really got saved, but there's no fruit in their life. Their life is barren, meaningless for the cause of Christ. Then go to verse number 8, it talks about the good ground. This is the converted heart, the converted heart. This person hears the gospel, they obey the gospel, and then they produce fruit in their life. Now, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, it tells us even the degrees of fruitfulness. The fruit is 30-fold, some people, some 60-fold, and other people 100-fold. So there are degrees of productivity and fruitfulness even in the good ground. All good ground is not the same ground. So what is the fruit here that we are to bear? Well, the fruit of an apple tree is an, the fruit of a peach tree is a, the fruit of a Christian is a Christian. The first fruit the Lord wants in our life is the fruit of witnessing and soul winning and reaching other people, of taking other people to the cross with us and seeing them come to saving faith in Christ. Jesus said over in John chapter 15, he said, I want every branch in me to bring forth fruit. I want every branch to be fruitful and I want you to bear fruit. And then he said, I want you to bear more fruit. And then finally he said, I want you to bear much fruit. And so all degrees there, see, 30 fold, 60 fold, and a hundred fold. The Lord's idea is that every Christian's life be a fruitful life. There's another kind of fruit mentioned in the New Testament. It's not only the fruit of a Christian is a Christian soul winning and evangelism and witnessing and reaching people. But there's a second kind of fruit it's called the fruit of the spirit. That's the fruit of our character. And in Galatians 5 and 22 and 3, it says that the fruit of the spirit is love. The first thing that should characterize every Christian's life, the fruit that we bear in our life should be that we have love for God and we have love for people that we really genuinely care about other people, that we strive to be servants and to serve others and to show the love of Jesus Christ to every single person whose life we touch. And so fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then it's joy, and then it's peace, and then it's long-suffering or patience, and then it is gentleness and goodness and meekness or humility and faith, and it's self-control. All of those are laid out in the Bible, and God wants you and me to be a walking fruit tree bearing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that people all around us can say he or she is a Christian because they have these qualities of fruit in their life that others can even see. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one of those soils, four types of soils, best represent your heart? Are you the calloused hearer? Oh, God, pray today that there's nobody here that hears the word of God, that hears the gospel and walks out of here and says, I don't care about that stuff. And Satan just takes the word right out of your mind. I hope there's no one here like that with a hard, calloused heart. Then there's the second category, the stony heart. The person who, oh, you get excited about the Lord, or you did when you first got saved, but now you're sort of going through the motions. You know, uh, you, you, you can be critical and negative about things pretty easily because there's just nothing there for you. Superficial Christianity, sort of the nominal Christian, if you will. And then there, of course, is the heart that it, the thorns have taken over, the weeds, There's so much going on in your life, you don't have time to come to church or serve God or witness for Him or even think about the serious side of your life. You're just going on with life and there's no fruit there. There's nothing of substance. And then there's the good ground here. And there's the degrees. 30 degree Christians, 60 degree Christians, 100 degree Christians. Which type of soil best represents the state of your heart today. Which type of the four types of soil best represents the condition of your heart this morning? The calloused heart, the casual heart, the crowded heart, or the converted heart? Which one best represents you? That's the personal application. Now, I think that this parable, getting back now to where I started with (laughs) the Jubilee year, but I wanted to explain to you this parable, this sower, in detail so you would clearly understand what this represents. But I think this parable not only defines the heart of individuals I think it defines our experience as a church here for the last 50 years it defines our church in a way that nothing else I know of does our vision has been what from day one proclaim the word of God spread the seed slang broadcast however you want to say it the seed out there and take it to the whole world we've done it through our missionaries We've done it in all various manner. And then it defines our mission. What is our mission today? It's to make disciples. It's to plant the seed and bring forth fruit. What is, our, what is our purpose today as a ministry, as a church, and has been for 40 years? Get the word of God to the most people in the shortest amount of time. Do it every day. Do it in every possible way. No symbol that I can think of in all the Bible better represents the fifty years of ministry of the Florence Baptist Temple than the sower. Do I hear one amen in the house? Is that who we are? Is that what we are? Does that define us? That we're trying to get the gospel out, and we've been doing that for fifty years. For example, every Sunday I stand here and preach. Well, I can't imagine fit fifty years. I didn't doesn't seem like that. Every Sunday and every Wednesday, almost every now and then I miss, but I'm here. I'm here with an open Bible because I think the thing that best defines a human being in this world is this right here. What is it that defines a human being better than anything else? It's what you think about this. And if we can agree on that. You'll love this church. But if you don't love this and see this as the final authority in your life, you, you know, you may not. But that's who we are. So we preach the word every week. Our music spreads the message in song. Did you hear that choir? Boy, I love that old song. My God is real, for I can feel him in my soul. And he's real even if I don't feel him, isn't he? But I like it, I like it when I feel him. And that song is such a powerful old song. And we spread the word. God is real is what that song says. Every Sunday, over 100 Sunday school teachers stand up and teach the word of God to men and women and boys and girls and babies even. Every day at the Florence Christian School, five days a week, God's word is sown in the hearts of over 600 children daily. Every Sunday now for over 30 years, we have telecast this service all across the region, not just our city, but as far as up into Southern North Carolina and all the way down the coast, almost to Charleston. And through our media ministry now and and the live stream and the internet and Facebook and so on, we're preaching the gospel now. Thousands of people worldwide are watching our services. Usually about 1,700, 1,800 people a week are are watching the sermon after and and the whole service after it's been preached here just on one of those outlets. We directly support 70-plus missionaries like Solomon Ovalabi and mission organizations. Our people go on mission trips, which our young people just returned from We give millions of dollars a year, uh, millions of dollars through the years to missions. Last year we gave almost a half million dollars. So missionaries across the world can spread the seed. That's what that's about. We're sowing the seed. Andrew's Army has 638 individuals whose names are out there on the wall committed to witness for Christ sowing the seed. Every week, over a thousand tracts and gospel portions of some type are given away by the members of this church, over a thousand a week, sowing the seed. The sports ministry gathers together little boys and girls, and we teach them Bible verses, and we have a Bible lesson, and we teach them the word of God as well as the sport that they're participating in. We no longer have a large bus ministry, but for over 25 years, we ran buses 25 a week all over the area. We are still seeing a harvest from people that came on those buses and tell me that they were saved and the Lord, they're serving the Lord. We have all these support ministries here. The hospital calls, the bereavement calls, the hospitality com- uh, team that greets you here, the ushers, the security, all of them support and hold up our sowing the seed. And every member who has ever participated in the life of this church for 50 years or given a tithe one time even is represented by this parable of the sower here. In the four so- soils here, Represent the responses we've seen of people in Florence and across the world to God's Word. Some of those people are calloused and they want nothing to do with Christ. Some of those people's lives are crowded with stuff they want nothing to do. They don't want to serve the Lord, they just want to practice a nominal, easy believism type of Christianity. But other people are good ground and their lives are fruitful lives. They're passing on the fruit even to their children today. And so we are seeing the results of sowing.